0: You're listening to The Packernet Podcast Network It's only a kick A jump A block It's only a serve It's only a tackle A run It's only for the fans After all, it's only pressure you got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the PackerNet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I'm just checking, there is, ooh, I gotta watch this. Just 38 seconds left in the Bears game. Hold on, hold please. Haven't been watching a lot of football today. I did watch a little bit of that Vikings game that was about it. Do I even have that game? I don't have the game, so I can't watch it. Never mind. Um, NFL game day live, that's what we'll do. For a game that really doesn't matter, this is quite interesting. This is, um, I've been watching for a while. I'm like, all right, we gotta get going with the podcast here. Might as well do a little bit of commentary while I wait. Um, just saw the penalty that made it from fourth and one to a fourth and six, and then the offsetting penalties to keep this thing alive. I have to assume, I said this last time, but I have to assume they're going to convert this because the middle of the field, it looks like they're bringing a lot of pressure, and the middle of the field I would assume is open because they're playing the clock. So that would be where you can find somebody open, but that wasn't where they looked before. Russ is scrambling again, throws it right over someone's head. That's the game. Bears win. It's kind of funny to me that the Bears win because (laughs) Nick Foles was a quarterback. Is there another flag? There's a flag. Taunting after the play, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) I had to think about that for a minute. It's like, they don't get to keep the ball, do they? Because that was after the play was over. It does make me a little bit happy that they went on to beat the Seahawks, one of the few games they actually won this year with Nick Foles at quarterback. It just, it just, and I know there's not a single, and I didn't watch it, maybe he played like garbage. 24 or 35, 250 yards and a touchdown isn't a bad day, but um, the funniest part about that, and I know not a single Bears fan is going to stand by that, they're, they're, you know, no, he's trash, and Justin Fields is better, he would have played even better, okay. It just makes me smile, you know what I mean? That's the only reason I was halfway rooting for Nick Foles and the Bears is to be able to sit here and be like, yeah, that's about it's uh, about as good as Justin Fields would have done. Maybe, maybe this is a little better than Justin Fields would have done. But anyways, that is how I wanted to kind of start this thing off. Uh, looking at some of these games today, plenty of perspective for us as Packer fans. And I tweeted this out. It's kind of interesting. I was watching the Vikings and Rams game. And one thing that's kind of fun to do for me anyways, because when I talk about perspective, I'm talking a lot about myself. As much as I come on this podcast and I'm like, you bunch of dummies need some perspective. I need perspective. I just get it before I do the podcast. But believe me, I'm watching television and if the Packers go three and out on the first drive, I'm the guy who's like this game's over. It's over. We're we're done. We're we're done. I don't say it out loud. I probably would if I was by myself, but I don't want my son to turn into that. So he gets upset and I'm like, "No, no, no, we're good." But deep down inside, there's this voice inside of me that's like, "This is the word. I hate I hate how bad this team is. We're going to lose by 50." That's me. I'm that guy. Anyways, It's not rational, it's just purely emotional. The rational part of my brain is trying so hard to calm me down throughout an entire game. I watched the Rams and the Vikings game, and um, the fun thing to do, and you can switch off and be whoever you want to be, but I was watching the LA Rams defense against the Vikings, and I was thinking, how would you react? Because I remember there was one play in particular, probably third-ish quarter or something. The Rams had the Vikings backed all the way up. It was third down. They got a ton of pressure. So it looks like it's about to be a sack. So you're, you are you know, again, I didn't really care. I'm just watching the game. I, I, this game is really not that interesting to me. If the Vikings lose, that's great. Hurts their chances of making it into the playoffs. And um, I'm all for that. If the Rams lose, good, because it's the Rams. And I don't want them to play well. Plus, we have to play the Vikings next week. So them losing is also good for that reason. So either way, I'm happy. The Rams lose. That's another quote-unquote powerhouse that, you know, is, is a game further back from us. Another team that is not going to overtake us. But I kind of thought to myself, how would I have reacted on that play? By the way, the play ended with uh, Cousins scrambling forward, breaking the pocket, and converting the third down to a relatively wide open receiver. But my thought is, how would I have reacted to this if that was the pack? I would have lost my mind. At the end of the day, what went wrong? Not too much. Not too much went wrong. The pressure was there. Kirk Cousins broke the pocket. As a result, at this point, it's now been three, four, four and a half, five-ish seconds. Somebody's coming open in zone defense and they were and he found him and he threw it. Most of the people did a good enough job. Kirk Cousins did a better job. And there, you know, there wasn't pressure up the middle or contained in the middle, so he was able to escape through the middle as opposed to this being a sack at the 1-yard line. That's that's true, but I started just watching the game saying, "Okay, I'm going to pretend the Rams defense is the Packers defense." And they drove all the way down the field. I think they held them to a field goal. I don't really remember might have been a touchdown, but I just remember watching it and thinking, this is exactly how angry I would be if this was the Packers. And just kind of how silly it is because I'm watching, I'm like, I don't know, dude, it's just, uh, it's just a play. I don't know what to say. Happens to everybody. Like, there's not that part of me that watches the Rams as the Vikings go down the field and think, dude, the Rams are frauds. They're so trash. This is terrible. They actually let them drive down the field and score points. Ugh. And part of me that I feel like that's part of it, too, where I'm watching the Packers just envisioning vikings and bears and other teams fan bases watching us going these guys are so bad they're not even good i don't think that happens as much as 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 i make that up in my mind because i don't do that i didn't watch the vikings drive down the field and go dude they're so good and i didn't watch the vikings give up yards and points and go ha they're trash i mean if you if you lose the game massive but for such small things one drive one play whatever it's flipping football dude Anyways, um, let me find Chicago. Chicago won. I don't know if that changes much of anything. Um, Seattle was eliminated from the playoffs. They were pretty much out anyways. With the Bears winning, they are officially eliminated. Let me just see if that changes anything else. we got one, two, three, four, five teams that are in. One, two, three, four, still five teams. So as of right now, as best as I can tell... It was just the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys that have clinched the playoffs. Um, You also have the Buccaneers that clinched and won the division. So the Packers won the division and made the playoffs. The Cowboys made the playoffs and won the division. Buccaneers made the playoffs and won the division. The Rams have officially clinched, as have the Cardinals. They're both in, but we don't know who won the division. There's a 75% chance for the Rams and a 25% chance for the Cardinals, but that's where that sits. Nobody else is really in right now. Uh, the Chiefs are basically guaranteed to be in. Oh, and they they won this game. So they're, i am got to remember, I'm watching yesterday. There's two and a half minutes left. So Kansas City wins. So they are officially in and won the division. The other teams that are basically locks, you got the Bills are 99% chance to make it. Colts are 98%. Titans are 98%. Patriots are 97%. Everybody else is going to get a little scrappy around here. Doesn't look like the Dallas game is going to move the needle too much. It's pretty big for Washington. If Washington wins, they have a 30% chance of getting in. If they lose, they have a 5% chance. But nobody locks or gets eliminated based on that game. Same is true of the Saints game. It it changes people's odds of getting in, but it doesn't lock anything up. So this is where we're at right now. We got one, two, three, four, five, six teams uh, by the conclusion of this week that will have locked up the playoffs. You've also got the Seahawks and Giants were eliminated. Uh, I don't know if the Panthers are in, but Seahawks, Giants, Panthers, Bears, Texans, Lions, Jets, and Jaguars are donezo. The Vikings are not officially out, but they could possibly be eliminated next week. Um, If they lose to the Packers and the Eagles win, they're out. So hopefully we can help to usher that in uh, next week. Otherwise, again, Kansas City Chiefs crushed Pittsburgh, so obviously all the computers are going to be real excited because the Chiefs not only won, they won big, and that's what you want. Which, you know, again, I'm not arguing it. It's just it's uh, not as important as some people make it out to be. The Philadelphia Eagles absolutely destroyed the Giants, so Eagles are obviously a great team. Um, L.A. Rams beating the Vikings, like we already talked about. And again, that's the, the most important reason, aside from being excited about uh, laughing at the enemy. Honestly, the biggest thing for me is the fact that we have to play them next week. And you just don't want to face a white-hot team. Now, Interestingly enough, I had talked about, before we continue on, um, before I lose this thought, here is a tweet from ranman71 on on Twitter, obviously. That's where you tweet. It's the original ranman. But one of the things that I had mentioned on the podcast the last couple days is the whole variable thing. I know some of you are tired of hearing me say it, but that's what you got to get used to with this podcast. When I get stuck on something, I really get stuck on it. But it's just the fact that you can't base your understanding of a team, in other words, what team is going to be coming to Lambeau or what team you're going to be going up against based on what they've done in the past, it's probably the best way to uh, to assess it. But it's not 100% accurate. There are all kinds of issues. And and I talked about all the different reasons why that might be. And specifically, the Aaron Rodgers quote that said that teams are going to give the Packers their best shot because it's either iconic Lambeau field or you got the Green Bay Packers coming to town and you want to put forth your best foot. So it's not fair to judge the quality of team that the Packers have gone up against compared to the the quality of team that you know the the whatever team put forth against you know the the Jets, the Giants, whatever. Right? You're 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 getting people at their best. Here's another example of that exact thing. And there's there's thousands of different examples to show how things can be different from week to week and how you can't really judge this week based on last week, et cetera, et cetera. But here's what mister Randman Ranman71 said. Everyone seems to be forgetting the Packers' last three of five, this is our opponents, have been battling to keep their playoff hopes alive and playing desperate all-in every play football because their season depends on it. Those are dangerous teams regardless of record, and our injuries, the W's, and uh, anyways, with our injuries, the W's are huge. Cleveland Browns fighting for their playoff hopes? You better believe they are. Baltimore Ravens trying to keep their playoff hopes alive? You better believe they are. Even the Bears, they were not officially eliminated. I don't know if that necessarily qualifies, but that's another one. A lot of these teams and the Minnesota Vikings, again, they could potentially get eliminated next week if they lose. Their odds are garbage either way if they lose that game. If they win, their odds go through the roof. If they win that game... This is, you know, not with looking at any other team. So if if they lose, let's start with that, they have a 1% chance. If they win, they have a 41% chance of making it into the playoffs. This is a huge, massive game for the Vikings. I'd be willing to bet this team is going to be fighting a little bit harder in this game than they did in Week 4 when they lost to the Cleveland Browns 7-14, or... Maybe even when they played the Packers in week 11, for that matter. Maybe not, because you're still kind of eyeing the playoffs at this point. You're only four and five. But at this point, it's it's right in your face, right? So you have a, a Packers team that knows they're in. And you have a Vikings team that says it's it's almost... It's not winning you're in, because it's still sub-50%. But it's borderline win, and you've got a real good chance. Lose, and your season is done. None of those are 100%, right? It's it's 1% compared to 40%. But that's massive, I mean, if Miami wins this game against the Saints, which they very well could, I mean, it's up to forty-seven percent. It's almost 50-50. If Dallas wins over Washington, that further increases their odds because which they're probably going to. That puts them at uh, right at fifty. So again, it's it's unbelievably massive, and and that leaves a part that leaves aside the part where it's the Green Bay Packers. So, you've got the Aaron Rodgers thing, what he said, where it's like everybody wants to give their best shot to the Packers because it's the Packers. But on top of that, the Vikings hate the Packers, right? So, they're usually going all out against the Packers. But now you've got, you're going all out just because you hate the Packers. On top of that, the Packers won the division. You can't win it. So, you're going up against the number one team. So, you want to give your best shot. That's the whole best shot thing. On top of that, You've got about a 50% chance of getting in if you win. You're basically eliminated if you lose. So again, it, it would be silly to look at it and say, dude, the Vikings are 7-7, seven and seven and they uh, they just lost to the Rams because they're trash. That's not really the best way to look at it. Granted, their playoff hopes are on the line, but so are, so are the Rams. They have playoff implications as well. But I'm just saying, on a week-to-week, game-to-game basis... It would be silly to just say they're seven and seven because those seven wins and seven losses are looking at games from months ago. They started the season zero and two. They lost to the Bengals in overtime, twenty-four twenty-seven. They lost to the Cardinals, 33-34. How much bearing does that have on their season? They actually started the season one and three. How much does that matter? And it doesn't matter. They're six and four since then. Well, actually six and five because they just lost. So uh, we'll we'll. we'll Obviously, get into the Minnesota Vikings as the week goes along, but you got to keep that in mind. The Vite, whatever they have, with whoever they have, I would be stunned if we don't get the absolute best version of the Minnesota Vikings. Not to mention, on top of playoff hopes, you have a head coach that's staring down the barrel of um, impending doom. If if they don't make the playoffs, I don't see very much hope that their head coach stays. I, I think the default right now is he gets fired. However, you get into the playoffs, You have some success in the playoffs. It's real hard to fire a head coach that gets you there. Anyways, moving on, the New England Patriots lost. That makes me very, very happy because after winning seven in a row, they have just dropped their last two after their bye. They had a bye week and have dropped two in a row. They lost by ten to the Indianapolis Colts. Then they had their rematch against the Buffalo Bills and lost by twelve. And that—that's the other thing that's important to remember is, you know. When we look at, and I said this all yesterday, but when we look at the team, and it's a fair criticism, you look at it and you say the defense isn't good enough. And what you mean by that is the defense is good enough, but only in terms of takeaways and sacks, but that's probably not sustainable. They need this one specific thing where you stop the run and, and you know, a little more clutch on coverage and whatnot. But the fear is that won't change. Everything changes. Now we're getting down to the wire, We're getting, we're getting real close to the playoffs, but this team is not the same team it was last week or four weeks ago or six weeks ago, and it probably won't be two weeks from now, three weeks from now, depending on how far into the playoffs we get. And I I feel like this year in particular, things are really, really weird. You hear a lot of people say that there are no dominant teams, and it's like, well, I don't know if that's true. It's just hard to take seriously the teams like the Colts who seem like maybe they're the dominant team right now. Because I just got done saying the Patriots are now the dominant team, and they just dropped two in a row. And, you know, the Chiefs are pretty dominant right now, but I don't know if that's going to maintain, I don't know if that's going to stay. Tampa Bay seems dominant from time to time, especially when they beat teams 32-6, to six, which is what happened this week, but they they just, they keep dropping games that they shouldn't. Things change and they change fast, which is why, on a really basic level, and I put out that tweet about how, you know, what all that matters is we win, that's not usually how my brain works. People put that out and I'm like, yeah, that's feel-good nonsense, it's not really true, but when you factor all this in, it kind of is. Next week is a new set of challenges. Just win this week. This week, you have these challenges, right? Can't stop the run to save your life. However, this week was also one of the best weeks we've ever had defensively in terms of big plays. I mean, positive for us. Sacks and interception. That, that, that was like one of the all-time great games. So there, there's, there's highs and lows and different challenges and different, you know, it's like going into a, uh, I don't know, some stupid video game. I can't think of one that actually works this way, but. You go in and you you've got different challenges, right? You got to fight off this guy and then th- you got this boss and whatever, but you get these weapons in this round. You just you, you, every week's different. Different people are out from injury, different people coming back from injury. Different people play well, different people play poorly. Certain things the defense can do, certain things the defense can't do. Aaron Rodgers is on, he's off. He's okay, but he he can't hit the deep ball. He, you know, we don't we he he has time in the pocket, he doesn't have time in the pocket. We can run the ball, we can't run the ball. Every game has a different feel and a different vibe to it, and it changes every single week. So yeah, we can look, again, the issue is looking into the past and assuming that it's 100% that way into the future. It is foolish to just say all that matters is winning, because if you're trying to project out into the future, you have to look at what you've done to try to to give a, a best guess as to where to head, right? I mean, game planning is, is partly about doing a post-mortem. I mean, the coaches are doing it. Why wouldn't we do it? They're going back saying, where did we go wrong and how do we fix it? Because they don't want to continue that going into the future. The problem is we're, we're assuming too much. We're assuming that nothing's going to change and nothing's going to get better. Therefore, I know we're not going to win a Super Bowl. Because what I saw, although a lot of things were really, really good, a handful of things were not good. And if I assume that those never change, and I assume that the good things do change for the worst. And I assume that when we get into the playoffs, all the teams are going to be better teams because, again, these are teams that are in the playoffs, and these are other other teams that we beat are not playoff teams, although we don't really know the level of competition that we're going to be getting from either team. But we'll just—you you see what I'm saying? There's so many assumptions being made to get to that point. It's weird because, on one hand, I put out a tweet like that, and I watch it, and it's getting a lot of likes and all that, and I, every time I look at it and somebody comments on it, and they're like, this is stupid, I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. It is kind of stupid. Let me read the tweet for you so you know what I'm talking about. It's a a stupid feel-good tweet. I put, Packers barely win. Packers cheat. Packers overrated. All I know is the Packers win. You can go cry in your pillow about the details. It's a a silly feel-good tweet that isn't 100% accurate, but strangely enough, it's still more accurate than what everybody else is doing that's being negative. And this kind of runs in parallel with what I've been talking about with this advanced analytics. That was a different tweet that I put out. Dara put out a tweet that said, uh, this is a big... He was commenting to somebody else, but I'll just get to the second part. He says, a lot of these games feel over long before they are, but the metrics treat every minute of the game with equal importance. The only reason I highlight that is because he pointed out another assumption that is made, similar to assuming that this 7-7 seven and seven team has been the same all year and is going to be putting out the exact same output that they have in every game all year, which is a fake assumption. They've never been the same in two games At any point in the year, every single game, this team has been exactly different, with some really high highs and some really low lows. Some teams have higher highs. Some teams have lower lows. Some teams are more consistent than others. But every team is different every single week. And every time you look at something, the amount of variables that we take as being constants are crazy. And this is just another one. When you look at, here is the tweet he was responding to. It's Peter Bukowski. He says, the games the Packers mostly controlled, but ultimately finished close. In other words the point he's trying to illustrate is the Packers have been more dominant than what people assume. The difference is they the other teams close the gap but we still end up winning. He says up 17 to nothing on the 49ers, up 16 to 7 and then 22 to 14 against the Bengals. We were up 24 to 10 against the Cardinals, 36 to 17 against the Rams, 31 to 17 against the Ravens, 24 to 12 against the Browns. The point that he's saying and Dara is further illustrating is that we do dominate teams they just tend to come back. Maybe that's just a different philosophy on defense or whatever, whereas the Chiefs keep the foot on on the throat of the other team, which, by the way, you you could look at that. Again, this this is all the variables, right? You could look at that and say, well, that's what we should do. We should keep our foot on their throat. But maybe keeping your foot on their throat, in other words, continuing to be aggressive, is the reason why, number one, they end up blowing teams out while we don't, which is a negative for us. However, What about the unintended cost that we don't see? Maybe keeping your foot on the gas the entire game is the reason why you allow them to come back and you actually lose some of these games, which is why your record is not as good as our record. Because at the end of the day, while you're prioritizing sticking with what we're doing, and I'm not going to say they're being stupid and they just want to run up the score. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm saying that they're doing what a lot of fans, myself included, say, which is if this is what's working, keep doing it. Whereas the Packers say, no, we're going to shift gears because I don't care if it's close. I care about winning the game. And so far, that's been working. But as Dara pointed out, at the end of the day, the metrics here treat every minute as being the same. The fact that we if if you wanted to be very accurate with a dominance metric or whatever, which I don't, you might want to look at this and say, listen, there are certain times in the game and certain variables here that we need to look at to say a score in this situation is not as big of a deal. If you're dominating and you're up by 17 points by the end of the third quarter, and they closed the gap within three points, but you win, you still dominated the game. It just didn't end that way. So how does that tie into what I was talking about? Well, here's what I said in response to that. I said, I'm not opposed to advanced metrics, but the further you get away from just general stats, like touchdowns, and move towards advanced stats, you start making dozens of errors. For every variable that you add, there are dozens you aren't thinking of. Depth and accuracy are inverse in the data world. What does that mean? What I'm saying is, is as much as people like Ben Baldwin stick their nose up at the stupidity of people who want to judge quarterbacks based on passer rating or based on touchdowns or based on yards, and granted, and, and again, this is the same thing that I've been saying before where it's like that feels right. It feels right to look at people as being simple-minded. Oh, you're so simple-minded like my positive tweet over here. That's so simple-minded. But us actual thinkers, we want to dig into the meat of it. We really want to get in there. And again, I generally agree with that. But the problem is, the more time you spend digging in there, the more you find out that every time I I delve in deeper, I have to make assumptions, just like what we were just talking about. If we want to do a dominance metric, what are we going to do? Well, we have to do this and this and this. There's so many assumptions you have to make, and then you're quantifying everything, just like PFF grades. I love that they take so many variables into account. The problem is, first of all, for every variable you take into account, there's another variable you're not considering. But the bigger issue probably is quantifying them, right? Like if, if you look at yards and touchdowns and accuracy and, and all these things, that's great that you put it all into, um, you take it all into account, but how do you quantify them? How much better and more important is a touchdown to one yard of, of passing? It's clearly more important, but to what degree? How much credit do you give to the quarterback as opposed to the wide receiver? It's an impossible task. And the more you delve into it, the more you just start making stuff up and it becomes fake. It's a fake universe that you're creating. And a problem is a lot of these advanced analytics guys, they believe what they've created is gospel and it's 100% truth. And so they have a deeper understanding, whereas you have a stupid understanding. You do have a deeper understanding, but it actually tells me in a weird way less... Because now we're off in the weeds trying to make, you can't really draw conclusions from it. Again, you have depth and you have accuracy. The more in-depth you go, the less accurate you will be with any, try to conc- any kind of conclusion you try to draw. The shallower you get, right, Rogers threw five touchdowns in that game. I can't really draw a lot of conclusions from that because of all the variables. There's a million different ways that you can come to that. I generally have an understanding that you did a good job, but I don't have any of the other context. But I'm 100% accurate in the fact that he had five touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers had a 74 overall PFF grade. What does that mean? I'm not trying to discredit PFF. I'm just saying we need to understand things properly so that we're using them properly. I have nothing against advanced analytics. But you have to know what you're actually looking at. Otherwise, you start assuming that this is 100%. This this gives you a 100% clear picture of something. And it, it just doesn't. And I've done that with Ben Baldwin's tweets. I hate to keep picking on the one guy, but he's like the main computer geek, nerd guy, whatever out there. And it's one of those things where he'll put out a stat and then say, therefore this, and you look at it and go, that doesn't tell me that. That's not the right conclusion. It's an interesting bit of information, but you have to be able to draw the right conclusions from it. Being a nerd that knows how to pull together data and make graphs is useless if you don't know what it's actually telling you. And I I sometimes wonder if he doesn't know what it's actually telling him. Or furthermore, if you want to get an answer, what do you do? And I've, I've done that before. It's an impossible task. It's fun, but it's impossible. For example, I tried to do the um, grading the best GM. How do you grade the best GM? Just start thinking about that. And every time you think of something, there's five things that you think of, well, what about this? And then you try to solve for that. Well, then you got five more. And it's just this branch that never stops branching out. And you end up like going in circles on certain things where it's like, well... To account for that, we have to do this, and to account for this, we have to do that, and to account for this, we have to do that, and now we've come full circle because you know what I mean. It just it does, it's it's impossible. So no matter what, anybody that has like a head coach ranking, a, a GM ranking, any of this kind of stuff, it's fun and it's cool and it's a way to kind of put into context things, and it is helpful. It's better than just making things up like most people do. Well, he drafted that guy and he sucks, so he's a bad GM. Like, dude, that's that's so far from anything rational. It's it's better than that. And it provides some context, but it's, it's an impossible task. And I think that's true of football in general. It's way too complex, and we try to understand it. And, and again, the funny thing, kind of bringing this back around full circle, the funny thing about all this is that stupid simplistic tweet that I put out is probably more accurate than the guttural reaction I have to the inverse of it. Looking at it and saying, listen, all that matters is wins is probably more, although it's it's inaccurate, right? It is inaccurate. And the more you dig down, you know, the more you, you find important things. But the problem is the more you dig down to find the real truth, you start coming to conclusions that are actually counterproductive. And the proof of that is look at all the people that dug down and found out that the Packers are not that good. They're overrated. Their defense isn't that good. All these different things. And then they come to the conc- conclusion, what? The Packers shouldn't be favored in this game. The Packers are not going to win this game. They're not going to win that. And they keep winning. So the, the blind optimists who are just going, hey, look, all I know is we keep winning. So that makes us a good team. That's, that's not really how that works. But again, the more you dig, how much information are you getting? How accurate are you being? You're not digging that deep anyway. Well, we can't stop the run. Therefore, we're going to lose in the playoffs. First of all, that's not that deep. So don't be sitting here talking about... How shallow I'm being in my reasoning. I admit that I am, but you are really shallow also. But again, the more you dig, you're just digging for the sake of digging. There's no truth to be found there because next week is a new week. We're always f- digging around for the, the, the hidden truth, the Rosetta Stone. I don't even know what that is, but I'm assuming it's like this thing that harbors all knowledge. I don't know. I'm going to Google it just to see how close I was on my complete guess out of nowhere. That actually sucks because I did look that up and I knew all this information already. Anyways... We'll, we'll, we'll call it, uh, we're, we're halfway there. I meant something more mystical, though, you know what I mean? We're always digging as though if we keep digging, we'll get to the ultimate truth. We will be able to know for sure if the Packers are going to win or the Vikings are going to win, and we're not. We know that if we dig down deep, we'll figure out if the Packers can win in the playoff. We just got to crunch enough numbers from the past to be able to predict the future. It can't happen. It's never going to happen. It's not completely useless, but, it, but here, here's the impossible thing. You know, it's kind of funny. I remember my dad was always kind of a nerdy kind of guy. He always watched like Nova and whatnot, which are awesome shows. But I'm just saying that that was so he's just kind of smart and new random bits of information. But anyways, there was one show that was talking about like these hidden codes in the Bible. Like if you go every third letter, you find this code. And if you go every 10th letter, you'll find this code. And I asked him about it. I'm like, well, you know, what do you think about that? And he said, it's ridiculous. I said, well, why? He said, because it only works in reverse. You can't predict the future going forward because you don't know what you're looking for. It only works going, you know, looking at history, right? Uh, there's some code in there about Hitler or whatever. What use is that going to be? It's going to look like gibberish if you have a message about Hitler in 1875. Like, I don't know what this means. And so you wouldn't see that as a code. The, the point is, If we look at the team right now, you can see it in the past. If you look at how Aaron Rodgers played, you can say, well, I would have predicted that because that's how Aaron Rodgers has been playing for a while. So the past did predict the future. If we look at how the offensive line held up against Miles Garrett, that makes sense because despite the struggles that this team has had along the offensive line with all the injuries, they've always been able to mitigate damage against even top premier pass rushers. So you're wrong in saying that the past can't predict the future. I'm not wrong. The past doesn't predict the future just because you can see the future from the past from the future. You know what I'm saying? You only know that now. Things will change next week, but we don't know what. That's my point. You didn't know we were going to get all those interceptions, did you? You didn't know we were going to get all those sacks. You didn't know the, defensive, the run defense was going to be that bad. Just like you didn't know Lazard was going to get that touchdown record. All these things you didn't know. So we can cherry pick, sort of using the football analogy, Monday morning quarterback by looking at it into the from the future into the past and say, well, you know, the remnants that did carry forth into the future prove that you can see the future from the past. But you can't. Man, this is becoming a great stoner show. I'm telling you. The point is, though, you cannot predict the future. I don't care how many numbers you have. I don't care what you think. Again, well, the run defense is a problem, and if that carries forth into the future, then we're going to... Yes, if. If. Do you know how many thousands of variables are involved in determining whether or not that carries into the future? How about this variable? Maybe Aaron Rodgers falls off. He wasn't that great to begin the season. Now, all of a sudden, he's very good. We assume he's going to continue that. What if he doesn't? What if? I, I, I don't know what if. What if Zedarius and Jair come back and it completely transforms this defense and it's the number one defense in football and all the worrying about what if the run defense doesn't get better goes completely out the window? What if? I don't know what if. I don't know what happens next week. I certainly don't know what happens in two weeks, our three weeks, or four weeks. So again, to conclude, my stupid all-that-matters-is-winning tweet is somehow more accurate then the people who look at that and say, that's actually stupid because actually how you win does matter. Because the more you try to break that down and use it as useful information, the more you realize that's useless. It's not actually useful. It feels useful. It feels like we're using our brain more rather than just being, you know, silly with our faith. We need to dig deep to to get to the truth so we can know the answer. You don't know the answer. We don't, we don't even know the very, we don't even know the variables of the past. Why was it so close? Why did that happen? Did the Browns play at a higher level? Did we play at a lower level? Is it because this guy was out or this guy was in? I don't know. And if I can't even tell you why exactly it was as close as it was last week, I certainly can't tell you what's going to happen next week. I might be able to guess a little bit better, but that's all it is. It's a slightly better guess. And again, I don't even like saying it because every time I read that feel good kind of stuff, it's like, eh, it's nice, but it's kind of stupid. It is stupid. But being smart is even dumber. And that's hurting my brain right now. Just saying that out loud, but somehow it's true. And again, that's not an absolute statement. There, There, there is some, I mean, if you're going to put a bunch of money down, let me just be real clear before I get off here, because I'm, I'm anticipating a lot of backlash. If you were to put down a thousand dollar bet on a game, I would want you to do a lot of research. And all of that research would be about the past, because that's the only research that makes any difference. How did you do in the last game? The yards, the this, the that, the whatever, the home, away, the spread, all that stuff. It's going to help you out a little bit. I'm not saying that it doesn't do that. What I am saying is a lot of people who try to predict the future and are doing so in a definitive way, that's my biggest issue is people who do it in a definitive way. I know that this is going to be a problem. I know that we're not going to win because of this. You don't know. Because there's 50 billion variables and they all just come together into one football game that just makes this complete mess of of a game. And ultimately, at the end of the day, The W is all that matters. Again, as a head coach, you got to kind of dig in and find those variables and tweak those variables. Here's an area where we were bad, and if we can get better, then we're a better team, and that would be nice. And again, it is true that if the run defense stays that bad, we're going to struggle. But people are being silly about that. They're cherry-picking which things stay the same, which things, you know, devolve or get better. Yeah, what if the run defense stays that bad? But the coverage gets better and our run game gets better. You know, like 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 let's tweak all of them. Like let's let's be realistic about this. All right, let's start with the quarterback. Is he getting better, or worse, staying the same? And to what degree? Oh, you don't want to do that because it's too much work? Then why why are we doing it at all? What is the benefit of picking one thing, saying that it's gonna stay that bad, and then just assuming everything else stays exactly the same, except again, the one thing that was good, we're gonna assume that doesn't stay. It just it's such a silly thing. Anyways, I've made my point. Um other games that happened I mentioned Tampa Bay the Jets beat Jacksonville um Detroit nearly beat Atlanta which I I'm glad Atlanta won it's, it's weird because I was I was borderline rooting for Detroit because'm I'm, I'm like caught up in all the hype but at the same time it's like dude remember they're a division rival we don't want them to be good they would have won what three of their last four if they won that game that's crazy but they lost to the Falcons who are not good so there the Houston Texans somehow obliterated the charges so there's your weekly perspective game, which happens literally every week, where a horrific team beats a team that absolutely should not have lost. And it just is a reminder that this stuff happens to everybody. Because although you can make certain assumptions, you know that everything's going to change, and you never really know how things are going to fall. And nobody saw that coming. Especially, it wasn't like it was, you know, a 24 to 25 game where the offense just wasn't clicking. The Houston Texans, with no football players whatsoever, scored 41 points. I... If there was no team on the field, I have a hard time believing they could score 41 points. That's crazy. Uh, Cincinnati obliterated Baltimore, which, again, this is one of those things that people are going to look at and say, Cincinnati did it. We couldn't do it. That's how you know. Right? That's the simplistic thinking. But again, there's variables. How about the fact that they had Josh Johnson as their quarterback? How about the fact that uh, you want to talk about really good football players? How about Joe Burrow, 37 to 46, 525 yards and four touchdowns? That guy... Um, we got to watch out for this guy catching up to Aaron Rodgers in the MVP conversation. I doubt he gets it because just like the Pro Bowl, it's one of those things he's not very well known. And the stats aren't going to quite be where they need to be. But I mean, he is, he is by far, I would guess right now, the highest graded player in PFF. And the stats are ridiculous. Tacking 525 yards and four touchdowns, that's going to launch you up the rankings a little bit. Joe Burrow is out of control right now. And he still doesn't have a dominant offensive line, but he's, I mean, the the wide receivers are clicking. He's got Joe Mixon. If they can build up that offensive line and get a defense going, dude, the Bengals are, they might be legit, especially with Baltimore kind of flailing, even with like, you know, I don't know what's going on. Baltimore, their quarterback suddenly is not good at football. The Steelers have completely fallen apart. The Browns are regressing back to what the Browns have always been. The Bengals might actually be in position, as weird as it sounds, to start kind of tearing things up a little bit. And, um... We already mentioned Chicago had beat the Seattle Seahawks, which again makes me smile because, well, I mean, I listen, I don't like Seattle at all. So it's not like they beat some team that I don't care. They beat a team that I don't like. Pretty much any NFC West team, don't like them. Um, it didn't mean anything for Chicago, so it didn't really sting. And uh, they won with Foles. So it just all around, I'm fine with it. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break. We'll take a little bit of a gander into what some of PFF's insights were into this game, some stats, some grades, and then we'll get up out of here. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. It would be, in fact, greatly appreciated. Anything you can do. I don't know why I'm so like hung up on I really want to get this office built up because I haven't done any video content in forever. And it's really weird to be like, I want to have like a cool podcast studio because nobody sees it except me. And I, you know, who cares? But I do want to do that. But otherwise, um, the Patreon money more or less just goes to the ridiculous amount of subscriptions I have, um, which is another thing that I just, there's so many things that I'm paying for that I just have not kept up on. Like I have a transcription service for my podcast so that I can um, transcribe these podcasts, which is awesome. It's helpful for me. I've gone back and looked at things. Um, but also I'm paying for another subscription where I have my own website for my podcast and I can put the transcriptions over on that website and it's really good. I haven't utilized that website or the transcription service I've been paying for it every month. Anyways, uh, on top of that, in 75 different websites I have subscriptions for and PFF I have a subscription for and Game Pass I have a subscription for. So um, long story short, I greatly appreciate everybody's support. But why don't we take a break? We'll be right back. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, folks, let's look at some grades and whatnot. Um, Probably not surprising that there's a little bit better news on offense than there is on defense. Offensively, we're looking at eh, roughly 8 of 17 if you're hearing lots of screaming. Sorry, it's just it's one of those things. The littlest one is, um, she was the easiest kid by far of our four. She's hitting a rough patch though, so (laughs) it's a bit more screaming than we're used to. To be fair, she is getting like four teeth at once, so she's actually waking up with like night terrors, which is weird. It would freak us out a lot more if our son didn't go through almost the exact same thing. But I think the pain is waking her up and she's so just out of her mind, tired, delusional, that she's just inconsolable. So she just screams. She screams for hours, and she doesn't want you to touch her. She doesn't you know. You can't rationalize. I mean, she's a baby anyways. You can't rationalize with her, but especially then. And then she's tired during the day. She's in pain. She's whatever. So she screams, and so I apologize for the background noise. But about 8 of 17 graded out fairly well. Um, the players that were roughly 70 or above, you had a 69 overall for A.J. D- Dillon, Dennis Kelly with a smooth 70, which, uh, again, we'll get into the specifics of that, but that's nice to see. Alan Lazard 73 overall. Royce Newman with a 73. John Runyon making a rare appearance at 76.6, actually graded out great in both categories. Then you get up into the 80s, your three real stars in this game. Aaron Jones with an 84 overall grade, Aaron Rodgers with an 84.7, and Devontae Adams with an 85.6. And as I mentioned yesterday, Rodgers and Devontae have just been in the absolute zone lately. Aaron Rodgers hasn't had a bad day since Seattle, according to his PFF grade, which I think most people wouldn't disagree with. Same for Devontae. So starting in week 11 against Miami, um, the lowest grade Devontae's had, 70.8 against Baltimore in week 15. Aaron Rodgers' lowest grade was a 72.4 against Chicago. But they have just been completely unstoppable. Aside from that 72.4, Rodgers has basically had an 80 or higher overall grade. 79.2, 81.5, 84.7, and 85.8 have been his other grades. I mean, this is about as good of a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5-game stretch as he's probably... I mean, if we go back to last year, he was obviously really dominant. Um, He had a real good 4-game stretch, another good 4-game. He didn't have a 5-game stretch of dominance. Better overall year, and his, his highs were higher. I mean, you want to talk about the best four-game stretch of a quarterback's career ever. Weeks one through four for Aaron Rodgers, 96, 89, 86, and 90.7. But, um, I mean, just, just in general for any player, having a five-game stretch like Rodgers has had that have basically all been in the 80s with one at 72 is just pretty remarkable. And to have your quarterback and your wide receiver have a five-game stretch, um, that's that's crazy. Devontae, 89, 80, 87, 70, and then 85. But anyways, the guys that did not quite get that far, you had um, several that were about average, Yash with a 63 or 64, Lucas Patrick with a 63, Um, Dominique Daphne at a 60, Mercedes Lewis 59-9, Juwan Winfrey 56-9. You're kind of getting down into the below average territory. Ben Braden, uh, who played three total snaps, came in um, during that game, which I missed, but I had heard about. 56.9, 56.9, Josiah Aguara 54.8, breaks my heart. Tyler Davis, 52.5, and Equinemius, 52.4. That was the lowest grade of anybody. So I think that's like the second week in a row. Nobody was below a 50. Yeah, last week, 51.7, Dennis Kelly was the lowest grade. Actually, the week before also, week 14, 50.3, MVS was the lowest grade. How far back can we do this, I wonder? Um, we didn't play week 13, so that... It is annoying that that keeps happening. We look at week 12. There we go. So, week 12, just to give you a perspective on how this generally goes for most teams, we had Lucas Patrick had a 43 overall grade, Alan Lazard with a 41 overall grade, John Runyon with a 38 overall grade, Mercedes Lewis with a 35 overall grade. Four guys below a 50. We have not had one player below a 50 since week 12. Part of what's making this offense as good as it is is just as much to do with the high highs as the high lows, you know what I mean? Not just having any kind of disaster, tragic, just awful play. That's that's critically important. Anyways, defensively, and again, I'll go back, but I just want to look at the bigger picture here. Um, and yes, there were people below a 50, but only four guys graded in the 70s and only three of them really were playing any serious amount of snaps. Uh, probably not the guys that you were expecting. Kenny Clark with a 70.1 overall grade. Not bad for him, just coming back. Dean Lowry making a rare appearance with a 71.8. Then you launch up into the 80s. You only had two, and again, one of them didn't really count that much. Oren Burks played five snaps, three of which were in coverage, which is where he got his best marks. So I guess we'll give him credit for where you know for for that. But unlikely he does this well if he has 50 snaps like the rest of these guys. But Rashawn Gary was number one with an 82.0 overall grade. And it was all his pass rush grade, which is pretty rare for Rashawn. Again, he usually does well with stats, but not as much with grades. But 85.2 pass rush grade is probably one of his higher ones. If I actually look at this, what was his highest pass rush grade? He had a 90 against Washington. Otherwise, this was his second highest grade of the season. And he actually has graded out fairly well. He's only had two below a 60 this whole year. He has an 85.9 overall pass rush grade. So Rashawn's just doing very well, and he continues to do very well. Um, And even I continue to forget how good he is. Again, you want to talk about a guy that's had a good stretch. Um, His last bad game, Week 8 against Arizona. Um, He had a 68 in Week 9 against Kansas City, but he had five pressures a sack in that game, so I'm probably going to go ahead and call that a good game. Um, Since then, Week 10, 79 overall. Week 12, 77. Week 14, 75. Week 15, it was a 68, but again, five pressures, so I'm not complaining. And then against Cleveland, um, he had an 82 overall grade, which is his highest since week 7. And his pressures in those games, and we'll get to everybody else's pressures in a minute, but um, since that one bad game against Arizona, 45 overall grade, two pressures, 5, 4, 4, 8, 5, and 5 have been his pressures. And it's, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, it's to the point where even I'm starting to take it for granted, and I look at these numbers every day. It's it's not that uncommon for a guy to have like one pressure in a game. You know what I mean? I mean, he, he had that. He had two against Arizona. He had one against Cincinnati. Um, you know, he had three against Pittsburgh. If we go back in time a little bit, um, Rashawn had zero against Tampa, one against Chicago, uh, three in week 15, one in week 14, one in week 12, two in week nine, zero in week eight. And then it was 1-1-0. One, one, I mean, he had a stretch of four weeks where he had two pressures. And this is Rashawn, who had a good season statistically. And granted, he is getting more snaps. But I mean, this is this is remarkable to have four pressures be a low. And in both of those games, he had a sack. He had three straight, so five pressures in the sack, four pressures in the sack, four pressures in the sack. He didn't have a sack in the next game, but he had eight pressures against Chicago and then he's followed that up with 10 pressures in the last two weeks, including 10 sacks. And I, I had mentioned last year, if he had had the number of opportunities that Zedarius had, he would be a double-digit sack guy. I mentioned his uh, pressures as well as his sacks. I said he would have double-digit sacks. And we wouldn't be talking about Rashawn is no good. He has nine right now. So unless he gets zero in his next two weeks, which he did have zero back-to-back Chicago and Baltimore, but again, those are mobile quarterbacks. Also, his last zero before that was Arizona. So you got another guy that scrambles around a lot. Before that was Chicago. Again, scrambling around a lot. Um, the only time he was... Sh- so Cincinnati was before that. That would be... It's it's very rare, unless you have a quarterback that can move a lot, that Rashawn isn't going to get your guy down. And we have Cousins and Goff coming up. So I think he's going to get one. We'll get, we'll get that double-digit mark. Um, of the guys that performed poorly... The majority of the defense was below a 60, so that's not great. You only had three in the 60s. Preston, Amos, and Devondre Campbell were in the 60s. I know most people are upset because they wanted Razul Douglas to be quite higher. He actually was 13th on this list, but um, below a 60, you had Chandon, 57, Jack Heflin, 57, Stokes, 57, Savage, 56, Garvin, 54, Razul Douglas, 54, Henry Black, 52, TJ Slayton, 51, and then you had the three guys that were quite bad. Tyler Lancaster with a 47 overall grade, Tipa Galea, 33 overall grade, and Chris Barnes with a 30 overall grade. So that's sort of the zoomed out view. We'll we'll double back and look at offense. Probably didn't need to do it that way, but we're going to. Got to mix it up once in a while. I don't know. Try a different thing. Looking at the specifics of the blocking. um, Pass blocking, again, was probably the bigger strength, maybe. But... um, you had Lucas Patrick with a 76, 77.6 overall grade, the highest pass blocking grade on the team, not overall grade because his run blocking wasn't that good, but highest pass blocking grade was Lucas Patrick. He only allowed one pressure in the game. Um, after that was A.J. Dillon. Kudos to him. Only two reps, but I'll take it. Then you had John Runyon, 74.2 overall, didn't allow a single pressure in this game. Mercedes Lewis with a 71.6. Mercedes had a little bit of a, a lower grade, but even still... Um, coming in at about a 60, that's fine. I mean, as long as he doesn't have a lot of bad games, he's going to end having just a fantastic year. And if you're going to have a mediocre game, if you can just stick in there and, and be a good blocker, I think I'm okay with that. Um, Dennis Kelly had a 71.3 overall grade. And then, uh, let's see, that's about it in terms of good grades. But Dennis Kelly allowed also zero pressures in the game. Dominique Daphne stayed in for one at 66. Yash had a 60 overall grade. He allowed a hit and two hurries, no sacks, so three pressures, which is high for this game, but it's pretty low, especially considering you're going up against Miles Garrett. Um, Royce Newman with a 56.4 pass blocking grade. Usually when he does well, it's pass blocking. In this game, it was run blocking. That's why he graded out as well as he did. We'll get to that in a minute. He allowed three pressures, exact same as Yash did, one hit and two hurries. All things considered, I could not care any less about three pressures given up especially if none of them are sacks. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm fine with that. Finally, Aaron Jones, three pass-blocking reps. He didn't grade out very well, but he didn't give up any pressures, so I'll get over it. So all told, seven total pressures in this game, one from Lucas Patrick, three from Yash, three from Rolls-Royce Newman. And as far as high pass-blocking grades, we're talking about our right tackle, our center, and our left guard all graded out very well. Run-blocking. Um, four guys graded out pretty well. You had Alan Lazard, 70, of St. Brown, 71. The only linemen were our two highest, 73.6 for John Runyon, 75.7 for Royce Newman, our two guards, which, although not great, it seems like progress to me, and I'll take it. Looking at the rest of our offensive linemen, Dennis Kelly with a 66, so not horrible. Uh, Left tackle, Yash Nyman, with a 63 overall, and then down here, the lowest was Lucas Patrick with a 58 overall grade. Nobody was really abysmal in the the blocking category, just not—nobody's dominant either. You know, everyone's fairly average. Um, Aaron Rodgers, man, I don't know what there is to say about the guy. Again, 84 overall grade, 83 passing grade, three big-time throws, which accounted for uh, 8.6% of his passes, zero turnover-worthy plays, which I think is the second week in a row— uh, last week, same thing, three big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. The week before that, two big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. So what are we at? Six to, to zero. Um, week 13, was at our buy again? I hate when that happens because then I have to like restart everything. Uh, week 12. So week 12 was the last time he had one turnover-worthy play, and he had four big-time throws. So what did I say we were at? Eight. So add four to that. So 12 to one. Since week 12, 12 big-time throws and one turnover-worthy play. Yeah, he's in the zone for sure. Average depth of target was 5.2 yards. Adjusted completion percentage, 76.5%. Only pressured nine times in the game. Pressure to sack percentage was zero, because that never happened. Um, time to throw was 2.26. Holy cow. I uh, That's unusually low. <laughs> that's crazy low. It's actually his third lowest of the uh, of the season, 2.15 and 2.0. That seems impossible, 2.04 on average against San Francisco. These are like shovel passes. I know a lot of people have made a big deal about, you know, that's how they've been keeping his pressures low. But it's not always that low. Uh, but in this case, that may have been a large part of the strategy. Let's just get the ball out quickly so that we don't have to deal with Miles Garrett. And a good strategy it is, too. But that's 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 surprising how crazy. That is um, another great thing. And again, he's very rarely under pressure, but this is another week. I don't know how many weeks it's been. I don't feel like going back in time anymore, but um, he graded out about as well under pressure as he did while kept clean. He had an 81 overall grade while kept clean. Uh, he completed 20 of 25 for 159 yards and two touchdowns under pressure, 78 overall grade. He was four of nine, 43 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, that, that has been a big issue for Aaron Rodgers, like a lot of quarterbacks, but not necessarily all, all quarterbacks he does a lot worse under pressure. He's just handling pressure. And when you've got a guy that's a really, really good quarterback generally, um, but suddenly pressure doesn't bother him and he's just not under pressure very much. I mean, it's just, it's, there's nothing you can do to stop him. And that's, that's what made him so good as an MVP. There's just, there's nothing you can do. He's just going to be good no matter what. And he's getting into that zone again. And it's just beautiful. Uh, rushing grades, there's not a whole lot else to look at as far as the actual run grades as opposed to the overall grades. Um, I mentioned A.J. Dillon had a 69 overall grade, Aaron Jones 84 overall grade, but rushing grades they were pretty similar. Aaron Jones, 78, A.J. Dillon, 74. Biggest difference, A.J. Dillon, the blocking was pretty terrible, but other- otherwise about the same. And receiving also, Aaron Jones killed it with an 82 overall grade, A.J. Dillon 61 overall. Um Yards after contact, on average, Aaron Jones, five po- <laughs> what? Average yards after contact. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this before. So let's do A.J. Dillon first. Generally, what you see is he had 4.6 yards per carry, 3.44 yards after contact average, meaning of that 4.6, he generated 3.4 after contact. So he only got you know, 1.2 yards before contact and then generated his own 3.4 after that. So that's awesome. Aaron Jones averaged 5.5 yards per attempt and averaged 5.67 yards after contact, which is to say his average contact was behind the line of scrimmage. On average, he was hit uh, 1.2 yards behind the line of scrimmage and generated 5.67 yards after contact to get him up to 5.5. That's insane. He he missed he forced six missed tackles in this game. He only had 12 attempts. AJ Dillon didn't miss uh, force any. What a Herculean effort by Aaron Jones, which is great because we haven't seen Stud Aaron Jones in a little while. Long overdue to see Stud Aaron Jones and and, and that that's a guy that's put this team on his back several times. We've won games because of Aaron Jones. And it's just real good to see that. Not saying we won because of Aaron Jones, but that dude had a great day and that was a big part of us winning and it it just You know, to get this offense back to what we've seen at its best, it has Aaron Jones playing like that, as well as Aaron Rodgers and Devontae and these other guys just tearing it up. Anyways, not a huge amount of interesting bits of information as far as receiving contested catches. We were 2 of 5, which isn't fantastic, but um, there were uh, 50% Devontae. He caught 1 of 2. Lazard caught 1 of 2. Josiah DeGuara 0 for 1. Missed tackles forced after the catch. Obviously, Aaron Jones with 3. Um, so wait, (laughs) is that in addition to the six? Oh my goodness. Anyways, uh, AJ Dillon won and Devontae Adams won. So there were five and three of them were Aaron. Aaron Jones was a freak in this game. I mean, I knew he had a good game, but oh my goodness. Anyways, the general stats we already went over, and you can easily Google that if you're interested. But um, looking at the defense now, kind of combing through the grades, looking at run defense, obviously this is our biggest issue, and the grades definitely reflect that. The only guy that was even halfway competent with a 68 overall grade was Kenny Clark. That was it. That was the highest run defense grade we had. Um, Three, four, five players had a 60 60 or higher grade out of 18. Five did. Uh, One of them was Henry Black, who had one run defense snap. So three of these guys only had one snap. So really, there were only two. Chandon Sullivan, which no offense to Chandon, who cares? And Kenny Clark. Everybody else was below average. Preston Smith, 55. Rashawn, 55. TJ Slayton, 53. Lowry, 53. uh, Tipa, 52. Garvin, 52. Lancaster, 50. We still got a bunch of guys left, and we're out of the 50s now. Devondre Campbell with a 48, which is terrible, you know, because we rely on him. Adrian Amos with a 46. We rely on him in the run defense. Uh, Stokes, 45. Kind of don't care. Uh, I mean, I do, but I don't. Chris Barnes, linebacker. We need it. Not good enough. Darnell Savage, safety. We need him. 43 overall grade. And the lowest, which is a big part of the reason why his overall grade was what it was, Razul Douglas with a 33 run defense grade. Tackling, another issue. Team has always been real solid. We did still have about seven guys grade out in the 70s or higher. Oren Burks, Jonathan Garvin, Tipa Galea, Rashawn Gary, uh, Preston Smith, Chris Barnes, and then the highest, Devondre Campbell. Still a really good tackler, but just the run defense wasn't there. 84 overall grade for him. Bad grades though, Savage with a 47, Douglas 36, Amos 32, and he's always clutch. Kenny Clark with a 30 tackling grade. Eric Stokes, 29, TJ Slayton, 28, Chandon Sullivan, 27. We've been a good tackling defense, and a big part of being a good defense has been the tackling, and that's just, that's garbage. Pass rush, it's basically a bunch of nothing with the exception of two people. Dean Lowry, 79 overall grade. Rashawn Gary, 85. Everyone else was 60s, 50s. Who cares? We'll get to the stats. Well, let's just do the stats now. Pressures, 21 total pressures in this game. Um, Guys that rushed the passer that produced nothing. TJ Slayton, 0 of 15 attempts. Oren Burks was 0 for 1. Um, Tyler Lancaster, 0 for 17, which is terrible. Jack Heflin was 0 for 3. Chris Barnes was 0 for 2. And Devondre Campbell was 0 for 5, which is pretty bad for a linebacker. Um, other than that, Galea, one of, uh, only three attempts and he got home and it was a sack. So that's actually quite good. I don't know what his, let me look at his stats for the season are. Um, cause I know that's kind of his thing. Um, he only has three pressures on 59 attempts. So he's been quite bad and he looks like AJ Dillon, which is weird. Like a smaller AJ Dillon. Anyways, um, Jonathan Garvin was one of five attempts. So I'm fine with that of only five attempts, right? 20%. That's great. Preston Smith was four of 35. That's fine. That's above 10%. Kenny Clark was five of 38, which is great. Um Dean Lowry five of 36 and Rashawn five of 35. So again, you got your core guys that are just they're overproducing pretty regularly. Um Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary are doing a good job of hitting that 10% or higher mark. Sometimes it's ridiculously higher. Sometimes it's just, you know, around that range. But Preston has been right there with Rashawn. I mentioned Rashawn's having a great stretch. Um Preston has been solid. I mean, basically since week 10. Again, right around that Kansas City, Arizona, Seattle range is when guys have been kind of clutch, and Preston's no different. 78, 88, 68, 89, so 90. 71 and 62. He's had two games in the 60s. Um, One of them was basically a 70, but he's also had basically two elite games. Um, His pressure is 10, 6, 5, 11, 5, and 4. So same as Rashawn, 4 is his worst, but he's also had two double-digit pressure games in that span. So he's just been out of control, and again for context, here's how he started: one three five zero two zero three one. So he had one game of five, otherwise ones, twos, threes, and a couple zeros. So it's it's remarkable um, what he's doing. And, and as much as you know, we look at the negatives and say, "Well, I wish we were doing better at this and that." We've got some guys that are just doing silly things right now, and. Um, it's pretty remarkable. It's, uh, Kenny, exact same thing. His grades have been pretty bad. In I mean, it, so he's had two good games in a row, basically, uh, Chicago and Cleveland. He's kind of back on track. That's good. We've talked about that already. But as far as the pressures, same exact thing, starting in week 10, right after Kansas City. Kansas City, he had zero. I think he might have been hurt in that game. Really bad grading, only had 24 snaps. Anyways, Seattle, 85375. He did have a three in there, with 34 attempts, so slightly below 10%. The sacks have not been there. That game where he had three was the only one he has. Uh, he's had one sack since week seven after Chicago. That's not good. But again, the pressures are out of control. And if if his main job is to do what he did in this last game, which is to flesh out the quarterback by just scaring the living daylights out of him, and Kenny Clark or uh, Preston Smith comes in and cleans up, that's fine. As long as the quarterback's on his face, I don't care who or how. Um, but Kenny Clark hitting an 5, 3, 7, 5 pressures, you know, in these last 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 games, it's glorious. I mean, the pressures have been stupid. It's primarily just these three guys, but they're just killing it. Anyways, coverage grades um, the two really bad grades, Typicalaya, Chris Barnes were in the 30s, uh, 50 for Henry Black, 56 for Chandon, uh, Rashawn, nobody cares. Eric Stokes with a 60 overall grade. He had uh, seven targets, three receptions, 29 yards. He gave up a touchdown, but had a pass breakup. So obviously it was the touchdown that killed him. Statistically, outside of the touchdown, who cares? I'm still more upset about the drop pick than anything. Uh, Razul Douglas got a 60.3 overall grade, five targets, three receptions, 20 yards, uh, touchdown and two interceptions. So again, the touchdown is, is hurting him. I would expect the coverage grade to still be higher with those two picks. But again, you got 44 snaps in coverage. I don't know what was going on. But all I know is this is one of those areas where I could not give I don't care, basically, about it's same with the press the pressure grades. I mean, it might be indicative of, of the future. Again, if you look at it and go, well, his grades aren't that good, so maybe he's not that good, so next week might not be that good. That hasn't been the case, right? We've been saying the same thing about Stokes and all these guys. They don't grade out very well. They seem to be struggling in certain areas, but you look at the statistics, which ultimately are all that matter, although it's not as in depth as the grades, what we really care about are the stats, and the stats have been great, right? Both of those guys gave up touchdowns. That sucks. But every week, it's like three receptions for 29 yards or whatever. Like, I don't I don't care. That's nothing. Uh, Darnell Savage had a 67 overall grade, which is a nice rebound. Again, the, the run defense and tackling was pathetic for Darnell. But after the week he had last week, the coverage was a little bit better. I'll take it. Um, one target, zero receptions, and a pick. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Adrian Amos, again, uh, another one, 70 overall grade, four targets, one reception for eight yards. That was it. Uh, Devondre Campbell did well, so he still got the tackling. He did well in coverage. It was just the run defense was was problematic for him, but four targets, four receptions, 27 yards. That's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. And then Oren Burks, again, uh, his main responsibility of his five snaps, three of them were in coverage, one target, zero receptions. So that is that. Real quick peek at special teams, see if somebody figured it out. Patrick Taylor, Isaac Yadam, Isaiah McDuffie were terrible, 30 grades. However, we had one, two, three, four, five, six guys with 70 or higher grades. Two of them were basically in the 80s. Tyler Davis, who I feel like has been here several times. Anyways, we'll look at that some other time. Tyler Davis, 70 overall. Vernon Scott, 72.7. Rasul Douglas, who just does everything, I guess, Uh, 74. We'll round up. Henry Black, 79, Sean Davis, who, you know, whoever that is, 79.4, and shock of the century, Steve Wartell, long snapper, who has been historically like the worst long snapper in football, 81 overall grade. Turning that corner, man. But anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.